Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We're actually going to begin reading in verse 5 today, although our main focus is on verses 18 and 19. Um, 18 and 19 are a summarized version of, of the New Testament reading that we read from Ephesians chapter 5. And I have to admit, I really only wanted to preach half of this sermon today because I know how badly I fail at the other half of the sermon that I don't want to preach at preach to you today. So please understand that as I enter into this sermon, as I seek to teach on these two verses, I do so as one who needs to hear them as much as you do. And so read with me as we begin in Colossians three, Colossians chapter three, verse five. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for your word. We thank you sometimes that it does cut like a two-edged sword. And we thank you for the holiness that you give. We thank you that your word is a lamp to us, that it guides us on our path. Lord, grant us to receive the truth that you have for us today in faith and in love. And help us to be, help us to be obedient to your will so that we might live for your glory. We pray all this and we seek all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. A famous golfer was once asked how he could make such a difficult game look so easy. If you have ever attempted to play golf, and I say that very, very deliberately, if you have ever attempted to play golf, it's not quite as easy to hit that little white ball off that little wooden peg and make it go where you want it to go. It's not as easy as it looks. But if we watch golf on television, those professional golfers make it look like, well, a walk in the park. 
And so this the reporter asked the golfer how he made it look so easy and responded with his practice routine on non-tournament days. And in short, his routine involved eight to ten hours every day spent in some combination of weightlifting, aerobic exercise, with the most part of his day being spent on the driving range hitting golf balls until his hands bled. The professional musician will have a similar story of practicing their chosen instrument for five to eight hours a day in order to become proficient enough to make a living at music. Think of a skill that you have, a hobby that you have mastered or attempting to master. It takes time. It takes practice. And the time and the practice that you put into it can be boring and mundane The piano player plays scales over and over and over again before they begin putting together the piece that they are going to perform at a concert. And holiness is the same way. We have been told to put off the old man and to put on the new. And it is something that happens in our everyday life. And today we are going to consider that fact that holiness is an ordinary everyday part of our life, or should be, and that I am not my own. First, holiness is an everyday, ordinary pursuit. Look in your Bibles real quick. More than likely, if you have an English translation of the Bible, and I would assume most everybody in this room does, there is a heading right there before verse 18. In the NIV, it says, Rules for Christian Households. And those headings are put there for us as guides. It gives us an idea of what's coming next in the passage so that maybe it can help us with a little bit of understanding. They they are not original to the particular passage. They were placed there by the different translators and publishing companies or or whoever it was that put together your study Bible. They're put there to help us, but they can also be a bit of a hindrance because we begin to lose when we see these sections Separated. I have in my particular translation that I have here, I have two sections in chapter three and a couple sections in chapter two. They help us lose the continuity of the passage, which helps us lose the context of the passage. What is the context of these particular words today? Wives, submit to your husbands and husbands, love your wives. Well, these are in the context of verse 17, which says, and whatever you do, Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, which is in the context of letting the word of Christ dwell richly in us and being people of peace, which is in the context of putting on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, which is in the context of putting off the sins of idolatry and the sins of anger which is in the context of being reminded that we have been put to death with Christ. Our sinful nature has been put to death and we have been raised with Christ to be holy and beloved children of God. And we could follow that on back as we go through chapter two and chapter one to consider the context of everything that has come before, which, as I've talked with somebody before church today, finds its kind of It's it's point, it's crux, it's most important point in the fact that we are circumcised. 
with the circumcision of the heart in being crucified with Christ and being raised back up with him to new life. So we submit and we love in the context of being crucified with Christ, having the sinful nature circumcised from our heart and being raised as a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. But we don't only find the context by going backwards. We also find the context by going forward. What's the next group of people that Paul addresses? Children and parents. What's the next group of people? And we'll talk about how I get to this next statement as we get to the passage. But we talk about employers and employees. These are rules for holy living. These are rules for Christian household that are meant to help us work out our holiness that we have before God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And Paul tells us to work these things out in three main relationships, marriage, parent, children and work. Where do you spend 90 percent of your life, 95 percent of your life? In your marriage, in your family and at work, do you not? Where are you most tempted in life to break away from holiness? With your wife, with your husband, with your children, with your parents and with your employer or your employees. Why do you think Paul would put these three relationships, these three distinct relationships that each and every one of us spend probably 90 to 95 percent of our life involved in here after telling us to do everything, whether word or deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's because that's where we work on holiness. That is where we work on putting the new man is in the everyday, boring parts of our life. We wait for those big temptations, do we not? We wait for the temptation, you know, I'm traveling I'm going somewhere on business. I'm going to be staying in a hotel room alone. So, Lord, give me strength against the temptation to to go to bad websites and to watch bad movies. And I can prove my holiness by by responding well to these big moment temptations. Paul says, no. You work out your holiness By responding well in the everyday minutia of life. You respond well to those little temptations to try exert control and authority over your husband or trying to be harsh with your wife or by disobeying your parents or by by causing your children to get angry and flippant or by, you know, slacking off at work. Or being the type of employer that lords his power over his employees. We work out our holiness every day, every moment of our life. And if we're not working on our holiness in those little things, when those big temptations come, more than likely we'll fail. Because we haven't practiced putting off the old man and putting on the new in the everyday moments of our life. The professional golfer, if he goes out to the golf course on the first day of the tournament and has not practiced once for the last week or month, he's in trouble or she's in trouble. The same goes with the Christian. If we are not practicing holiness, 
every moment of every day of our life, if we are not constantly seeking to put off those sinful practices and put on the holy practices, when it comes to those big things, we will fail. And he begins with marriage. Tim and Kathy Keller wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage. And in this book, they talk about the fact that many people go into marriage not wanting to be changed by their spouse. And the good news is, they say, your spouse will not change you in marriage. That's the good news. I can do nothing to change Michelle. Michelle can do nothing to change me, no matter how hard I try. The bad news is, God will change you in your marriage. And He will use those places where you and your spouse rub up against each other. He will use those places where I am tempted to be harsh toward my wife to begin to rub away those hard edges. And it's a daily work. It's a daily, daily work. He'll do it with my children. He'll do it in my place of employment. He will call me to be changed in those little moments of my life, those life, those moments that I think are mundane, those moments that I think are boring, those moments that I think have nothing to do with my holiness. God is saying in this moment, choose to put off your sinful practices and choose to put on the new creation, the clothes of love and forgiveness. We are called to pursue holiness in the everyday, every moment parts of our life. But we are also told in this passage, I am not my own. How does the pursuit of putting on holiness in marriage look? Well, he puts it pretty simply for us right here in Colossians. He gives us two quick, succinct commands. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Wives, what does submit mean? Well, it doesn't mean out and out obedience to your husband. The only person that demands obedience, ultimate out and out obedience of you is Jesus, is God. So it doesn't mean that. And and throughout the history of the church, this this uh, this command has been abused. And we have levels of patriarchy even today within our church that are probably that not probably that are abuses of this. But what does it mean? Well, number one, submission is voluntary. As we look at this word, as it shows up throughout the scripture, it's a voluntary thing. It's something that you do willingly. It's something that you do because you have been changed by God through the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus to to um, to submit to your husband's headship in the family, to your husband's authority. It doesn't mean that you disappear, that you are absorbed into your husband's personality, into your husband's wants and desires. It means that day by day, the husband is the head of the house. And as long as he is leading the household in a way that God intends and in a way that glorifies God, what you want must be subservient to where he is leading. Now, I did qualify that there. You are not to submit your will to your husband if he asks you to do something that is sinful. You are not to submit your will to your husband if he decides to lead you away from Jesus and from the church. 
But as long as your husband is seeking to pursue the will of God in a way that glorifies him and in a way that is obedient to the leading of God. When it comes to those decisions where the two of you may not, and I know this is rare that husbands and wives disagree on big decisions or even little decisions. You follow your husband's leading. And it's not because you're lesser. We are both created in the image of God, but it's because it is fitting to the Lord, as he says right there. What does that mean that it's fitting to the Lord? Well, Ephesians 5 that we read earlier tells us that wives are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Jesus. How crazy would it sound if instead of saying Jesus tells us to. I stood up here and said, now this is what the church has told Jesus to do throughout the history of the last 2000 years. Wives submit to your husbands as the church submits or subjects itself to Jesus. That's what it means to be fitting to the Lord. That's what it means to submit to our husbands. Secondly, husbands are to love their wives. And in the essence of time, I'm just going to skip this. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I actually. Uh, well, never mind. That's a story for another day. Second, husbands are to love their wives and not be harsh with them. Now, I think the fitting to the Lord that comes at the end of the injunction upon the wife to submit to their husbands, I think it really applies to both. I think it applies to us husbands as well. How are we to love our wives and not be harsh with them in a way that is fitting to the Lord? Well, once again, we go to the larger passage, which is in found in Ephesians chapter five. And how are we to love our wives? As Christ loved the church, right? How did Christ love the church? Well, number one, he served the church. You know, we talk about Jesus and his disciples. What happened in John chapter 13? They were there preparing for the last supper. And Jesus disrobed and put on the form of a servant and wash the feet of his disciples. So husbands, our loves for our wives is to be a servant love. It's to be a sacrificial love. If we look at Philippians chapter two, it talks about how Jesus did not think equality with God as something to be grasped, but became obedient to death, even death on a cross. My wants, my desires need to be sacrificed in my love for Michelle. And finally, it is a sanctifying love. In my family, who was responsible, who was responsible for the spiritual growth of my family? That's me. And that includes my wife. Now, as I said earlier, I cannot sanctify my wife. Only God can do that through Jesus. But for some silly reason, God uses me to do that. And then. It goes on to say, and do not be harsh with them. And and that hits hard, guys, doesn't it? Because our reaction, instead of loving our wives, is more often to revert back there to verse 5 of chapter 3. And verse 7 of chapter 3, 7 and 8. In those areas where my rough spots rub up against my wife, harshness is my first reaction Took me 23 years out of 25 to begin to figure that out. Harshness 
and anger is my first reaction. And honestly, gentlemen, if my love is to reflect the relationship between Jesus and the church, I do better at reflecting the gods of paganism than I do my savior. Because I act more like a priest of a pagan religion in going toward anger and going toward idolatry than I do toward sacrifice, servanthood and love. But thanks be to God, I'm not where I was, even though I am not where I wish I would be. Why these two commands? Why a command to submit? Why a command to love? It's because of Genesis 3.16, where God tells Eve, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Wives, the effect of the fall on you is that you want to run things. I am sure there are times when Michelle goes, if I could just listen, we'd go forward because I don't listen. That's why I know that. But that's the desire. That's the sinful desire. But Paul says in the power of Christ, submit. Husbands, our desire is to rule over and to domineer our wives. That's what Genesis 3.16 tells us. And we're called to love her sacrificially as a servant and in a sanctifying way. And these passages have caused so much trouble in the world over the last 2000 years. Why? Autonomy. Anthony Esselin wrote an article recently for the website Public Discourse, and he talks about why the best, most scientific, most logical arguments for the pro-life position do nothing to sway people who are pro-abortion. And the issue is because they are in control. And when you get pregnant, it reminds you that that's part of your life you're not in control of. In our marriages, we think we're in control. The problem is there's another person involved. And they remind us constantly that we are not in control. And so we fight against that. We balk against that. We attack against that. And we realize the longer we stay in marriage, that I am not my own. And that makes me angry. It makes me harsh. For wives, it makes them want to take control. But the Heidelberg Catechism, a 16th century summary of the truths of Scripture, has a different view of the statement, I am not my own. What is your only comfort in life and in death, the Catechism asks? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death. To my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. The sooner I can understand that not being my own is a comfort. The sooner I can get on with loving my wife and not being harsh with her. The sooner you learn that you have been purchased with a price and you are no longer your own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to Jesus Christ, who is our faithful Savior, the easier it will be to submit to your husband as God, as the church submits to Christ. How can we stop kicking against the commands to submit and to love? 
by remembering that we are not our own and that that truth is a comfort. See, I do not lose my autonomy to my spouse or to my children or to my work. In the power of the Holy Spirit, I willingly give my autonomy to Jesus who purchased my life with his who paid the price for my sins with his life, who freed me from the tyranny of autonomy and the devil, and who watches over me and protects me and makes me willing and ready every day to follow him. Holiness is an ordinary, everyday pursuit. And I am not my own. See, Paul has laid the groundwork in the first two and a half chapters of this book, telling us that we are holy and laid the groundwork for helping us become the holy person that we are. He's reminded us that we are chosen and beloved before God, and He's called us to put on holy actions that reflect that reality that we are chosen and beloved. And He calls us to work those out in our daily, boring, ordinary moments of our lives. See, we, we do. We look for the big events. We look for the mountaintop experiences. We look for those conferences that we can go to and be charged up For the pursuit of God. And they're not bad. But true holiness comes in our everyday life. Do you want to excel in your marriage? Husbands, do you want to excel in your holiness? Excuse me. Love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Wives, do you want to excel in holiness? Submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. But all of us are called to submit to Christ. And to walk with him. Let us pray. Our God and Father above. How great it is to know. That I am not my own. But I belong body and soul. In life and in death. To my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. Help me live that truth out. In my everyday life. And help me see how that truth. Leads me to holiness. Help me see how that truth. Leads me to love my wife. And help the wives see how that truth leads them to submission. And help that help us all see how that truth leads us to walk in humility before our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.